Southwestern family of companies welcomes you to the Action Catalyst. With each episode, our diverse and amazingly accomplished guests share their insights and inspirations to help us ignite our own. So let's invest attention, together, to breathe, to reflect, and refocus, and decisively defeat that voice that we call Mr. Mediocrity. Then let's enjoy moving forward to make a positive difference in our world. Are you interested in advertising with the Action Catalyst? Our listeners could be hearing about your brand right here, right now. For details, shoot us an email at info at theactioncatalyst.com. You are going to love the man that you're about to hear from. He is a lovable guy. His name is Lewis Howes. And Lewis is known probably the most for his uh, podcast, which is called The School of Greatness. And he's interviewed Tony Robbins and Scooter Braun and Arianna Huffington and Julianne Huff. You know, he's a lifestyle entrepreneur and he was an All-American athlete in college. He actually holds a world record in collegiate football for most receiving yards in a game, 418 yards in one game. And you are going to love Lewis. So, Lewis, thanks for being here, man. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. So you talk to so many amazing people, millionaires, billionaires, Mm -hmm. uh, all sorts of celebrities. If you had to choose like three of your favorite podcast interviews that you've hosted on School of Greatness, what do you think would be the th- your three favorite? I would say, you know, one of them is uh, Tony Robbins for sure, just because he was one of like the top three or four guys I wanted to have on the podcast when I launched it. Mm. So being able to kind of fulfill that vision and the experience being with him one-on-one for an hour doing a video session was was really powerful just to experience his energy and his, you know, 50 years of wisdom from the work he's done. So that was really cool. I really enjoyed Julianne Huff as well, because for me, it's not that often I get to interview some women who are in their mid twenties who have that type of a mindset. So positive, humble, grateful, but are also living their dreams and their vision in a very powerful way to inspire the world through their art. Mm -hmm. And so for me, that was really cool. And then, um, I would say Scooter Braun also was the people you named Scooter was a guy that who's just crushed it in the music world. I don't know a bigger name than Scooter Braun in and the he, business of music. You explain who he is just in case people don't know. He's he's the guy who found Justin Bieber on YouTube, mm-hmm. literally watched the video of a 12-year-old and said, I'm going to make him the biggest star in the world one day. And then did it. He, you know, he called the library in the town he was from and said, hey, does you know how to get a hold of this kid's mom or something and like just called around all the local shops and said, do you know this kid? And cause he couldn't figure out what his, you know, where his information was wow. and essentially convinced and enrolled his mom to move a 12 year old to Atlanta from Canada and go after this dream where singing was just like a little side passion of his. He was a big athlete to be able to have that vision. And then five years later, make him the biggest celebrity arguably in the world mm-hmm. within within a half a decade and bring in hundreds of millions of dollars around a business, around one human being. I thought it was pretty incredible to hear the story about how he did that. Well, and the, so the book, The School of Greatness, yep. is so basically you're, you're incorporating several of these different principles that you've applied in your own life and also that things that you've learned from the guests. Of, of all the lessons of greatness, that you've learned, like in your personal journey, what do you think has been the hardest? What's been the most challenging thing that you've you've had to learn? 
True. Yeah, it's probably my own emotions and learning how to navigate the stories that my emotions tell me, either true or false or in between. What I mean by that is on a daily basis growing up, the stories and the emotions I felt feeling lonely, feeling uh, abused, feeling not worthy. Uh, then the stories telling myself, you know, in high school, going through the same thing in college afterwards, the uncertainty emotions, the inner battles that I've always faced. And I think all of us face at some point in our lives. Uh, those have been the biggest challenges for me is learning how to overcome fear, doubt, uncertainty, and learning to believe in myself. I think a lot of people don't have enough belief in themselves or their skills or their jobs at work. And uh, that's what holds them back from getting to the next level, whether that's getting more sales at their job, whether that's getting a, uh, you know, a pay increase, position increase, or whether that's increasing their relationships, you know, finding quality people to surround themselves with. They don't believe they're worthy of it and it holds them back. So for me, it's been, you know, a journey for 32 years of understanding that I'm, I'm worth having everything I want. Would you say that's a real common trait or not really? You think that that's kind of more of a, a a unique thing to your personal journey? Yeah, I think a lot of people, you know, there's themes. The more people I interview who have achieved great things, they've usually gone through something really uh, adverse in their life or they've had something happen to them or they've had this inner turmoil. So they come from a place of overcoming it and, and achieving great things. Um, without that, I think it's a lot harder, actually, if everything is easy for you, if you're the most confident human being in the world from the day you wake up, uh, you know, you come out of your, your mother's womb to you never have any injuries, family is whole and complete, and there's never arguments, you know, you're the most popular kid in school, everything comes easy to you. I feel like you're, you know, less likely to achieve great things if you don't have adversity and if you don't have some type of struggle where you're, you're questioning something in your life. Uh, for me, that's where you dive into. That's the opportunity to dive into what I really want and how do I want to serve myself and the world in a bigger way. And that's where greatness comes from. Think about any great leader, CEO, uh, athlete, doctor, anyone at the top of their game. If you interview them or ask them any questions or read a book about them, they had some crazy traumatic adversity that they had to overcome. It wasn't just like, yeah, I was the smartest kid. I had everything down. I got everything I wanted. And now I'm the president of the United States. It's like they lost their father at an early age or their parents were divorced or they were an orphan or something they had to overcome. Uh, or maybe they got held back in school. And so they had to learn how to connect with human beings in a different way, which made them a great communicator. Something that uh, was a challenge, a major challenge for them that was then the advocate for them moving towards their dreams. I think a lot of people don't know this part about you. Your older brother had a pretty big impact mm -hmm. on, on you as a kid. There were some things that happened that probably would not be a part of the, the storybook way you would write a family yeah. life. Tell us what happened and then how that changed you. Yeah, my brother went to prison when I was how old was I? Eight years old and was sentenced for six to 25 years to, to jail. Uh, he was 18 and was selling LSD to an undercover cop. It was a, he was, he was like a, he was a brilliant musician and one of the top in the country classical violinist. And so he had a full ride scholarship and, you know, won all his awards was brilliant. 
and he was selling weed on the side, you know, just like what the college musician, some musicians do in college, I guess they like sell a little weed on the side to make some money or something. And, uh, one guy, someone asked him to, if he can get LSD. So he like asked his guy if he can get some LSD to like sell to this other guy. And that one time there was an undercover cop that was involved in it. And, uh, they sentenced him to six to 25 years. He got out in four and a half years on good behavior. And it was really interesting because I never thought about someone in my family ever going to prison. You know, I didn't think of them as like these killers or rapists or the things you hear about in movies. And so when my brother was there, it just didn't really make sense. And we would go every single week, two and a half hour drive to the prison, to the visitor room. You know, they, we were allowed to have a couple hours a weekend, um, at, along with the other inmates, families. So we would go and it was just a different life. It was so weird. I'd have my normal life and then I'd be in this prison going through these, um, radar detectors, having to sign in, having to, you know, do all the questioning to get in just to see a family member and spend a few quality hours with him and realize that he wasn't coming home for, you know, years and he was stuck in there. And, uh, to hear the stories about what he had to go through was just heartbreaking. So for me, it really shaped me in the fact that I was like, okay, I'd never want to come to this place. Um, and it's one of the reasons why I've never done drugs and, you know, I don't, I don't drink. I've never been drunk in my life. I have like a, maybe a, a couple sips here and there once, once or twice a year, but it's not like I, uh, I go there and it definitely shaped me to want to be great and achieve my dreams and not mess up and get some of my life taken away where I can't serve the world in a powerful way. So it definitely shaped me. You know, I've got my other things that I'm not perfect in, you know, the foods I like to eat and, uh, you know, I am in no way a perfect human being and, uh, I'm not judgmental. My challenge for myself and for people is, is this serving you? And is this serving the people around you and not everything I does serves me and serves people around me, but I'm just constantly in that challenge for myself. And I want to be, you know, set an example for people around me. If they want to, if they want to drink all, you know, all good for me, I look at it as an and as an advantage, you know, if the people around me are drinking, maybe they're having more fun or looser or things like that. And maybe it's just one drink and it's not a big deal. But for me, I really want to be as sharp as I possibly can, because I've always felt like I wasn't the smartest kid in school and I, I didn't have the intelligence that other people had, let's say school wise. So for me, and as an athlete, I didn't feel like I was the best. So I always wanted to have any type of advantage I could to be my best in the world. And if that means other people are drinking and they may be a little sloppier, then that's going to make me, at least on their playing level, to be as sharp, hopefully. So that's the way I look at it. And for me, if you're going to allow yourself to be slower mentally and physically for drinking, then who knows what could happen in any situation. You're out of a social setting and something happens and you're not sharp enough. You're a step behind. That could be your life if you're a step behind. If something happens. You never know what could happen. Or if you're just walking out the street and then there's a car that's coming and you don't have your edge, you're not going to be able to jump out of the way quick enough and something terrible could happen because you decided to have an extra drink that made you a step slower. So that's the way, you know, and listen, that could happen even if you don't have a drink. Sure. So it's like, again, I just want to set myself up for the best possible edge at all times. Now, you almost called this book instead of School of Great, uh, which it does, does kind of make sense because obviously the podcast is what everybody knows very well as part uh -huh. of the brand. But you almost called the book Hustle, 
when you hear the word hustle, what do you think of and what does that mean for you? And then how do you think that applies to all of us? The word hustle to me means essentially diving for the loose balls in the world. You know, on the basketball courts for years, I was never the best. I became one of the better players on my team and in the league and in, you know, the state and things like that when I, as I got more developed, but for years, I didn't have the talent and the skill, but the coaches would always say, you know, those who out hustle are always going to have a spot on my team uh, and will always be irreplaceable. And so I was like, okay, well, if I'm going to make the team and be a starter, I'm going to have to hustle more than everyone else. So I was always sprinting as fast as I could in every drill, just exhausting myself. I was always diving for any loose ball, sacrificing my body uh, to make a play. And I was willing to do what others were unwilling to do, essentially. But it's about going after the loose balls in your career, in your job, in your life, in your relationships, doing those extra little things that may be a little painful or, you know, not comfortable, but they're going to make, give you that edge. They're going to make you stand out in a certain way at your job where you, you did an extra little bit of research that you weren't supposed to do or you weren't, uh, they didn't expect you to do. And you presented something in a new way for people. They're like, wow, that person really just did a little bit above and beyond. Uh, and they were willing to go the extra mile type of thing. It's a very simple concept, but for me, hustling in life really is building those relationships. It's doing the things that others aren't willing to do. It's effective. But I think you have to do it from a place of love. So some people might think of like hustling and, and trying to hustle people over or something like that, but it's the complete opposite. It's hustling uh, to love people more and to show your amount of care more. And if you can come from that place, it's it's pretty hard to beat that. You were a professional athlete. I mean, you had you were on that path. You were doing those things. And you've had some major physical pain, but you, yep. you talk about how that physical pain, there's some lessons that you have learned from physical pain that have yep. really served you. So share some of that. I think, man, the more pain we experience, we're just able to take on more adversity. So if we're up to a big game or big dream or we want to advance our career, whatever it may be, and we haven't experienced some type of pain physically, I just think it's going to be a lot harder. Now, it doesn't mean you should go and like cut yourself with a knife or something to feel pain. What I'm talking about is the type of pain where you're pushing your lungs, your body, your legs, you know, everything to an uncomfortable place. And I try to do this as often as possible. One, because it helps my body grow. You know, any type of discomfort create growth when you, um, you know, push yourself past a limit with your lungs and you're breathing extra hard, your lungs are going to expand and they're going to have more capability to breathe harder the next time around. And if your muscles, um, are sore, that means they're a little bit torn and they're going to grow and get stronger. But if you do do zero pain, if you feel experience zero pain in your body, then you're not pushing yourself in any discomfort and you really don't know how to handle discomfort when it comes your way. And it's always going to come your way if you have a big dream. There's going to be more adversity. It's just a part of life. If you're up to a big game, there you don't have to take on new adversity. It's going to happen no matter what. Um, but if you haven't prepared yourself and trained yourself physically and mentally to learn how to overcome that pain and embrace it, then it's probably going to mean you're going to want to run away from it when it happens. If you can mentally embrace the pain you're experiencing. Listen, I don't like running three to five miles. It, it hurts, right? It's not like I'm excited about it, but I'm excited to train my mind to be stronger every single day. And 
that's why I do it. And obviously I want to be healthy and, you know, and master my body, but it's not like a fun experience to, to have pain and to not be able to breathe and be wheezing, right? It's not fun, but I understand the value of it. And that's why I do it. I think Richard Branson, the quote he said is when someone asked him, like, what's the key to success in business? He said, working out. And I don't know if you've ever heard that, but essentially, you know, he, he thinks that like being in physical shape is the key to success and building a business or in, you know, being great in your career. So for me, I find value in that. This is science as well. If our health is not under uh, control and it's not in balance, we're going to be slower in our jobs. We're going to be slower mentally, emotionally. We're going to be more easily reactive to things that come to us in life. But when our body is in unison with our mind and they're both healthy, we're able to take on the adversity of life with much better ease and flow as opposed to exhaustion and people just reacting when they're driving to work because they're, they're not happy and they didn't work out in the morning and they're frustrated with their health. You're going to be much more reactive towards life as opposed to flowing with everything that comes your way. As you think through all of the guests that you've had on the show, yeah. what do you think are some of the most common universal characteristics that these are a couple of the most common sure. characteristics? Yeah. Well, I mean, in the book, I talk about the eight characteristics, the eight principles that they all have. But if I was to say the two, I would say the first and the last that I talked about in the book. And the first is, you know, the common theme is they all have a very powerful vision. It's all very clear and powerful vision. Now, that doesn't mean it doesn't evolve and change and things happen where um, they may be on a different track at some point, but they all have a very powerful, clear vision on what they want and why they want it. And they are so committed to their vision that it doesn't matter what adversity or setbacks or barriers come in their way because they know they're going to come in their way. They're prepared for that. They're committed to it until it happens. And that's the first thing, you know, you think about anyone great, Richard Branson or CEOs or anyone great in your career who wants to get to the next level or great athletes, they didn't just show up and say, oh, I'm going to be the best. Uh, they didn't just show up and say, I'm the best athlete in, you know, in football in the world. They had a vision and probably when they were five where they said, this is what I want for my life. I want to be a Super Bowl champion and I'm going to commit to it every single day for the next two decades until it happens. They're not just at the Super Bowl. And they're like, oh, how'd I get here? I don't know. I was just like showing up randomly. <laughs> it's a very intentional, clear vision with decades of setbacks and barriers to make it happen. And they understand that. That's the first thing is the vision. I would say the second most common thing, they live a life of service. This is the final principle I talk about in my book. They live a life of service. I think early on, I think this might've came from a book that I got from sales training actually at Southwestern Books. I think it's called The Richest Man in Babylon. Have mm -hmm. you heard of that book? Oh yeah, of course. And I think the premise of this book was that the richest man in Babylon gave away half of his money every single month. But essentially the key to him being the richest man in the world or whatever at the time was that he lived a life of service. He found ways to give away his, his wealth. And that doesn't mean you have to give away half of your money. But what I took away from that is, and what I took away from all the people I've interviewed is that they have some type of thing where they're constantly in service to the world or to other people or their community. And that's what's made them so great. Um, their level of service. They are so committed to 
giving back. They understand how valuable their life is and how valuable and important the gift they've been given to be born and to be alive in the world right now. And because of that, they understand how precious the world is and how precious other lives are. So they live a life of service, whether that be with their time, their talent, their money. Uh, they're finding ways to give back on a constant basis. And it's part of their being uh, as who they are every day. Uh, so for me, that's really powerful to hear that from everyone is that, you know, the rich, rich people I talk to, they're giving back their money. Uh, the most talented people I talk to, they're giving back their talent to serve other people with that. When I started to understand that concept, one of the things that they also do, though, is they live a life of service for themselves. And this is really important because, you know, some people only give to other people and then they forget about themselves. They forget mm. about their health. They forget about their dreams. They forget about their needs. And they're such, such big givers to other people. But I feel like they're, they're not really living greatness unless you're also living a life of service to yourself. And that means whatever dreams you have, going after those dreams, taking care of your health, taking care of your needs, doing things for you as well. You know, I believe God created us to go after our dreams and to make the most of our talents. That also means giving it away to other people and serving other people, but it doesn't mean neglecting ourselves only for other people. Because when we take care of ourselves to the fullest and our cup is full every single moment, every single day, that's when we can serve others at a much deeper, greater level. And I think that's what we're here to do. I love that. I have one last question for you. And that is, who is left that is out there that you would still like to interview that you haven't interviewed yet? I really want to interview Will Smith. I really want to interview Will Smith, The Rock, Jim Carrey, I feel like is an extremely inspiring human being. Those are kind of the three keys that would be be big wins to have on the podcast. Well, you're making the world a better place, man. And thanks for being here. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. If you enjoy this podcast, please make sure to subscribe. And to stay updated on everything that the Action Catalyst is up to, make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Action Catalyst Podcast and on Twitter at Catalyst underscore action. And thanks for listening.